and welcome to Island Artcast, uncovering the creative industry with me, Olivia Savage, as your host. Here we talk about all things arts, and each week I'll be joined by inspiring Max creatives to discuss creative careers, as well as burning topics in the art world today, to keep that creative mind of yours in action. another episode of Island Artcast. Um, here we are at home in lockdown. What a mix-up we're in again. Um, I hope everyone's staying safe and washing your hands. I'm currently sat here waiting for a COVID test result. I know other people that have got it. it seems to be everywhere. Um, but just because we're back in lockdown doesn't mean that the podcast has to stop. So let's get stuck in. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, March is the host month for International Women's Day. So it seemed only fitting that we have an episode in honor of this and focus on gender in the creative industry. Uh, the creative industry has come a long way with regard to gender equality in terms of salary and opportunities, but there is still a notable imbalance between men and women in the workplace. On today's show, I'm joined by student, artist and musician, Alice Dudley and Professor and Illustrator Joe Davies. Together, we're going to approach this much talked about topic. We will unpick the historical attitude towards women in the creative industry and how far we have developed, as well as what there is still yet to accomplish, particularly when you look at the difference in numbers between male and female students undertaking creative related degrees compared to the number of male versus female professionals in working in the industry. So, hi, welcome to you both. Um, how are you both doing in, in lockdown? Alice, how have you been getting on since we went into this a week ago? I've been, I've been okay. I mean, I, I think I was quite lucky, to be honest, because unlike a lot of the people on my course who are all scattered around the UK, I actually got to put on an exhibition the other week. And I think the exhibition ended the day before things started all going a little bit wrong. So I kind of managed to time things perfectly. I've struggled a little bit because I was in the middle of making a record and that's obviously come to a halt now. Mm -hmm. So can um, you not do but, any recording now at, at home? Well, thankfully, I think, again, I was quite lucky. I think we've managed to get most of the stems that I needed to do myself. So we're hoping we can carry on working remotely. So I definitely am kind of feeling quite optimistic. It could have it been much worse for me. Yeah, that's good. Joe. how have you been doing? Well, for me, life is very much like being in lockdown usually anyway, because I work mostly from home. Mm -hmm. It just means that because we're shielding me and my husband, we've got personal shoppers, which is a, a gain for us, really. So uh, I can't really complain about it. Because I've worked freelance for a lot of my life, I'm quite disciplined at getting out of bed and uh, kind of working at my table and organising my time to be here. So there's not very much transition. But like you, Alice, we've got an exhibition for the book that I illustrated, which opened at the Manx Museum a couple of weeks ago. So that's obviously stalled now because there's nobody able to go and visit it. But I think it is just like that, really. It's a little interruption for us, isn't it, on the island? I think because the government handle it so well here, we can feel quite confident, I think, that maybe in a few weeks' time we'll be in a different place. So, fingers crossed, I feel quite optimistic. Yeah, I definitely still have that that temporary feeling and and feel that hope that it is a circuit breaker and not a full-blown um, indefinite lockdown. Yeah. But 
if you're already working freelance then do you have like a setup ready like an office setup for yourself at home well actually I live in quite a big house and we've got a lot of rooms but somehow I'm the one who's on the dining room table so we've got a <laughs> studio upstairs and we've got a book room upstairs and another room upstairs but actually I'm down here with the dogs and I've, that means that I get all the barking when I'm in like business meetings when the postman arrives and and I have to kind of put my things away at the end of the day but I quite like that I, I quite like working on my knee on the on the settee sometimes as well you know I don't feel like I need an office with my name on the door or anything it's quite nice being at home and feeling like I'm at home so yeah, yeah I, you know move around and laptops are brilliant aren't they you can do it in the garden when the sun comes out yeah yeah I know what you mean I mean I'm um sort of in like my utility in my house even though we have a lot of rooms as well but it's weird how you end up in these places but I really like it I feel like it's become my space amongst the goats <laughs> so much yeah exactly <laughs> I can't, this is the boiler just behind me so <laughs> I'm staying warm um okay so let's get stuck into the episode I'm gonna start with some statistics that um I found that I thought would be really interesting to contribute to the episode today so uh according to the destinations of leavers from higher education the DLHE um looking at education in the UK in 2016 to 2017 there were 7,162 males um, that graduated in creative arts subjects, of which 40.6% went on to work in a creative profession six months after graduation. Now, compare this to the female population, there were 12,865 female students um, undertaking a creative arts-related degree, so that's nearly double. Um, but only 30.3% went on to work in the creative industry six months after graduation. So despite the fact that there were nearly double the amount of women studying a creative degree, um, it, the proportion of women in the creative industry following graduation was, was 10% less than that of men. Now, granted, you can argue what defines a creative subject and equally, um, whether education, so a traditionally academic environment, is at all actually the right place for creativity. Um, this is something that I'm going to touch on in another episode because I feel like it has a whole discussion in itself. But nevertheless, I mean, I took fine arts at uni myself and there were about 65 to 70 students in my year. Uh, I don't know the exact figures, but I could tell you that I could count on my hands how many of them were male and so when we would go into things like lectures and seminars um and particularly smaller group projects there was really never more than two guys in in my group or class at the time so however you want to look at it I believe that there's some truth in those statistics and so I guess my question is why is it the case and that's what we're going to be exploring in this episode today so let's begin uh Alice you are new to the creative industry, you were telling me that you haven't actually worked in the creative field yet, as in you haven't been paid to work in the creative field yet, I mean. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. But I mean, you've been working as a student, so you've still been very much involved um, in the arts world. And your artwork actually depicts the history of feminism in the form of contemporary art. Um, I'm a huge fan of your work, as I told you the other day. I think your, your prints are so delicate in a way which I think really lends itself to the female subject so what is it about feminism that really inspired you to to base your practice around it what was that that you 
clinged on to when you when you were reading about it? Um, well, thank you, first of all. <laughs> That's very nice. I think for me, it's kind of, it's striking, I guess, immediately that obviously the art world has historically been dominated by men and by the male gaze. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think anything, any work made by women that's sort of transgressive, particularly anything that's sort of body centric, it still feels just as relevant today as it did when sort of second wave artists like Judy Chicago, Hannah Wilk um, were making their work in the seventies. It's still, there are different issues today, obviously, but it still feels just as relevant. It still feels just as powerful as sort of a reclaiming. Um, So I think I've definitely been, I've been inspired by a lot of contemporary artists, but I've also recently with the work that you were talking about, I was doing a lot of um, research when I was writing my dissertation at the start of the year I was doing a lot of research around sort of Renaissance artists and artists from the early modern era, but also the historical context outside of the artwork and just the way in which the role of the female form has changed in art over time and sort of the lasting stigma around female sexuality. And it just, it started to drive a lot of my work now. So I think it's definitely still conversation to be had. But yeah, I think, I think it's just a lot of my work. It's not all necessarily feminist work. I wouldn't necessarily box myself in strictly as a feminist artist, but I'm an artist and I'm a feminist. So it is going to go hand in hand. And I think sometimes you might want to have an outward conversation with your audience about sort of social issues. Other times it might be, sometimes it just might feel like a conversation you need to have with yourself as well. Sometimes there might be, your own issues, your own experiences that you want to work through, Um, sort of, I don't know, body image, self-worth, mental health, maybe sort of recovering from an unhealthy relationship or something that's quite personal, but still ends up resulting in creating work, which is definitely viewed by others through this sort of feminist lens. I think, I just think it's, it's important and it definitely inspires me a lot more than any of my other work. I'm definitely inspired by a lot of other women as well, more than anything else in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean, especially about um, when you look at how women have been depicted through the history of art. I, When I wrote my dissertation, I was doing it on 20th century art, so the avant-garde, and there was um, a quote that I remember from a surrealist artist that was in 1929 by Andre Breton, and he said, I might get the, the exact wording wrong here, but he said something like, the problem of woman is the most marvellous and disturbing problem in the world. And it was so weird to read how men through art saw women as like this enigma, like because we possessed these emotions that they couldn't um, comprehend. And I think, for, I mean, I, I am a feminist, but my work isn't about um feminism or sexism directly but I think it kind of comes up subconsciously I mean do you find that even when you're not making a conscious effort to maybe mark a specific point in history or make a specific point through your artwork that you find it just comes through inspiration naturally for you as a woman it does yeah it it definitely does and a lot of the time the work that I'm most passionate about normally is sparked by something very unexpected. It will normally be sort of 
I might read something that, that shocks me or that unsettles me or something. And I think it was a lot of the work I've been making recently. It was definitely the case. I didn't originally, I wrote my dissertation about the role of the witch in visual art and about how female sexuality was originally celebrated in ancient goddess worshipping cultures. But then by the time, by the onset of Christianity and uh, gradually sort of women's images distorted over time until they were actually being persecuted as witches for the very things that they were being celebrated for not that long ago. Mm. And I think after reading that completely by accident, I ended up writing my dissertation on it. I felt very passionately about it. I ended up making a whole body of work. But I think for me, you can read about that and you can be fascinated and appalled, but it can sometimes feel quite distant, obviously. Like, well, it's not, it's not happening now, but then sometimes you can stumble upon other things and it can really hit you. I think I read recently that the very first detailed research study about female pleasure and specifically the clitoris was only published in 1998, which is the year I was born. Mm-hmm. And I think that really struck me because I was making work about the stigma attached to female sexuality at the time. And here I am making work about how female sexuality has historically been dismissed and even persecuted. And then I come across this article that says that, you know, something resembling concrete understanding of female pleasure is only as old as I am mm-hmm. and that it's still being dismissed in contemporary society. Like, I think just sort of sometimes reading things like that, it can kind of, can kind of, you can be quite taken aback by it. And I think a lot of those feelings is often what makes you produce your most powerful work. Definitely. I totally agree. So as you're saying it, it you almost don't realise how much it still exists in the present day. Um, and coming, coming forward to that. So Joe, you're actually I mean, compared to, to Alice and me, who are super new to the, the industry, you have a lot of experience working in the creative industry, being um, a freelance illustrator, as well as a professor at, you, you were at the college and you're still at Plymouth University um, now. Uh, so what is your experience as, as a woman working in this field? I mean, you've mentioned to me that you have found yourself to be in the minority as a woman amongst, amongst male colleagues. So have you ever with that having found yourself having to face challenges or experiences um that you think is because of the fact that you are a woman well i think because my career does uh, go over different areas really i'm a, a professor in university as you say and i'm also an illustrator and i'm a writer mm. i think my experiences are different in each of those uh, contexts and uh, i think as a professor when i started working in university I wasn't really conscious of myself as a woman. I was just a person. And I think it was only when I kind of looked back um, several years after being in post, really, that I realised actually I was in quite a minority as a female in my role, probably on a national level. But at the time, I didn't realise I had just had a job to get on with and that's what I was focused on. So I I think um, at certain levels in universities and academic institutions, and I'm I'm sure it's the same in many uh, institutions nationally, um, women are, you know, often quite prevalently occupying roles at a certain level. And then you find that maybe that kind of stands out as you get higher. I mean, I think that's kind of pretty commonplace that that's been acknowledged. I think the creative industries, I think maybe over the last 10 years, 
since I've kind of been working across the creative industries, there's, there has been a shift. And I think that's possibly because of shifts which have happened just generally around you know, broader areas of discrimination. I mean, the Black Lives Matter is a separate topic, but that's a kind of another indicator of that, where I think people have got a bit more of an altruistic attitude. You know, they're, they're thinking more about other people. They're thinking about equality. They're thinking in a more ethical way about how they practice just in a, across areas of society. And I think the kind of uh, feminism, uh, equality for, for the gender is part of that sort of uh, action for change, really, the cultural change. So I think even in my own career, I think within the, the kind of sphere of education, I think there's much more uh, kind of representation of, of women at higher roles. But I don't think that's always been the case. You know, in my kind of career history, as you say, I'm, I'm much older than you are. So I have seen sort of uh, that kind of change happen in front of me. But I mean, I think, you know, referring back to your earlier point about the number of graduates and their destinations, I think it's kind of mixed within the areas of the art. I and mean, I would say working in uh, academic kind of circles, you do notice, as you've kind of recognised, that there are more women in particular areas of maybe education, uh, a creative education. So, but I think that you might find that if you look at product design, maybe that might be perceived as a male dominated area, whereas like textile design, illustration, which is my area, is much more female dominated. But I think when you get into the industry and kind of span that over time, there's much more diversity within the industry and that that's been kind of championed within the last few years as well by publishers and employers. I mean, I think for, for me, you know, in the creative industries, uh, although there are kind of tendencies in certain areas for the to be more females kind of dominant, like in publishing, you often find a lot of females mm. in high roles in publishing. But I think that there's much more kind of sensitivity now just about being discriminate and just people making kind of more conscious choices. So I think there is a big sort of shift um, in the creative industries because it's where the creatives live, you know, who are thinking outside of boxes and being kind of open-minded and encouraging kind of changes in attitude. So I think, you know, myself, I think I've, I've, I've always been driven by my own ambitions and my own intentions. And I, I kind of haven't realised I've been a woman really. So I think in my career, I've just kind of had an idea and wanted to do it and kind of put myself forward. And then sometimes I look around the room and think, oh yeah, I'm the only woman here. And I'm kind of conscious of that, but it's not necessarily been that I've kind of thought I'm going to kind of go into this male bastion domain and kind of try and forge a way into it I just have kind of uh, ignored my myself as a woman and just been a person and I think that's maybe that my own kind of upbringing really that my you know my family we just kind of that's how it, I was brought up to kind of just try and think of myself as an individual really and just kind of um, put myself in situations because of the things I'm good at rather than kind of you know being in a particular role or stereotypal in my behaviors yeah so that's, that's a rounding <laughs> no I totally agree I mean I've been raised the same way in that um my parents have always said it's never come up about difficulties of being um a woman and I think that's in the workplace and I think that's testament like you were saying to how far we have come and how we have actually shifted in that now we are trying to teach children from a young age to just not consider these things when you're moving up in the creative workplace and and eliminate the stigma that way from from early on um and I think I would definitely agree I think more things have been put in place for women um 
so that we avoid this level of discrimination, particularly when you're moving up higher and higher and you're you're gaining more authority and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I do think what I would say um, is that maybe there is still sort of a casual attitude um, or or a casual sort of level of sexism in the workplace, I would argue. I mean, Alice and me were talking the other day how we... We have both worked in bars for a long, a long time. We haven't um, worked in the industry, but I've, I've, I've been in the workplace. And when you work in a place like a, a bar, or a restaurant, or something, there's definitely sexism still uh, going around. Oh I've, yeah, yeah. I've worked in in different cities yeah. and stuff, and and it still exists. And I think it's this is more what it's become now, and there is more sort of casual stereotyping going on. So words are being associated with women like um oh she's bossy or she's bitchy or she's catty that you may not realize aren't being applied to men anywhere near as much as they're being applied to women yeah Um, I think that uh, we're in a strong position though aren't we as visual communicators because like Alice is talking about her work where she's exploring like notions of like the kind of female the the male gaze towards women and you know that's been kind of documented through like Susan Sontag the writer has explored that really kind of you know intensively hasn't she and I think you know in a way you know in illustration as an example you know we we're kind of encouraged really to depict uh, you know, females in strong roles, you know, to, to break that whole kind of cycle of children thinking that the girls are making the cake in the kitchen while the boys are climbing the trees and doing kind of strong things or discovering the world or whatever. You know, so through illustration, through visual communication, through art, like uh, Alice is talking about, you know, we can explore these issues in ways that are much more accessible. You know, people can see what we mean and we can we can change those kind of stereotypes by our depiction and our exploration and expression around these issues. So I think we're in quite a good position and you know as an author as well and working with people who've written um, books for children as an example you know that's where we can again challenge uh, kind of stereotypes and present a much more equal view of of the way that the world can be really because I think people just are often you know they, it's not that they're deliberately ignorant is it they just haven't had access to the same education that we've all had and I think people just there's not being really taught to think or perceive things maybe from a different perspective than the one that they've already kind of known you know I think yeah you're right when people do use words like oh she's bossy and you know and I think that's I find that quite difficult myself you know when people say oh you're quite an aggressive person you they oh I'm actually not I'm really kind of passive person you know but they mean you're assertive and that's different I think you know I take that as a kind of medal of honor really so I think you're right kind of language can be really uh, kind of dangerous can't it and it can kind of create a sort of tension and, and, and an expectation which is kind of misaligned to people's you know qualities and strengths really yeah definitely and I think this sort of attitude of, of language is, is maybe one of the um more longer term changes that we have to make that that we can do by being in a fortunate position where we've come far enough that we have the things in place to not have to experience direct sexism, but still in a position where we are aware that we have to keep making changes. So we're in quite a positive position, I think. Um, but mm. I know for me in particular, I, I can often find myself, I mean, just writing this podcast, um, 
I was kind of thinking, okay, I don't want to make this sound like we are just hormonal women that are coming on to scream about, <laughs> about men. <laughs> um, and I didn't want it to be perceived that way, but I then have to stop myself and think, go into this without that mindset, go into this without worrying about that kind of stereotype. Um, and so Alice, do you ever feel like with your artwork, like you are ever worried that you're coming across with, with the negative connotations that can be applied to feminism and feminists, or do you sort of go into it embracing that and, and embracing that sort of opportunity to change that view? I think it's definitely taken me a little bit of time to sort of be fully comfortable exploring issues like this because I've, I've definitely noticed my work start to get bolder and a little bit more ambitious over the time that I've been doing my degree but I still I still get these moments like where I feel uncomfortable with the fact that a lot of my work has lots of female nudity with the fact that I use my own body a lot of the time I still get comments of people sort of you know, men will come up and ask me and be like, oh, is that your, is that you then? And it'll still make me a little uncomfortable sometimes. And I know it, I know it's made other people uncomfortable sometimes to look at my work because it, I don't think it's particularly confrontational what I do um, at all, especially compared to a lot of um, sort of other feminist artists. But I think it can still make people uncomfortable and including the artists themselves sometimes. And I think it is that thing of, coming back to the stereotypes for a second. Sometimes I think we can be so worried about the fact that we might be conforming to certain stereotypes that you go almost out of your way to fight against it. Like, I don't want to be considered this stereotype. I'm going to fight against it and make sure. And obviously, like, that can sometimes just mean that women have to work twice as hard to be taken seriously. There might be a woman in the workplace who's trying so hard to avoid being called bossy that she becomes very passive instead of being assertive. But obviously, a lot of the time with men, it's not really a concern. And a lot of the time, it'll just be sort of classed as good leadership skills, whereas a woman might be called bossy. And it is. I mean, it, obviously, it works. It works both ways. Like stereotypes, they're not always they're not always harmful. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm fully aware, for example, that I probably tick most of the boxes for a stereotypical art student. Like you can, you can happily embrace stereotypes sometimes, but I think perpetuating stereotypes in the workplace can be quite harmful. I think emotional's particularly an interesting one because mm. it's often, I don't know if you sort of feel the same, but I think it's often applied to women quite negatively, but really it should it's it's a difficult one because a lot of the time it could be passionate it could be vulnerable empathetic but women can be classed as emotional but I think what's quite damaging for men in this case is that the only reason that women are typically classed as the more emotional ones is because there's so much pressure placed on men to be the, the strong and silent type so it's definitely damaging both ways mm -hmm. you know what I mean like I know there's more of a conversation nowadays around men's mental health as well, which is obviously very important, but I don't think we all realize by casually using these stereotypes and reinforcing them in everyday life, the damage that it can actually do to everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And like, there's that element as well, how I think emotional is such an interesting stereotype that women get given and it is sometimes perceived in a negative way, but we have a maternal instinct that 
men don't have. So evolution says that we are designed to be more emotional um, because we carry that maternal instinct that, that men don't necessarily have in the same way that they say um, men mm -hmm. are have developed um, to or evolved to have stronger physiques because historically they are the ones that had to go out and, and get the food while the woman stayed home. And if you're taking back that far, that that is where it comes from. So I, it's a positive thing and it's a strength that we have. And, and I like that you mentioned that we can use that to sort of now address men's mental health as well and use that to to help men be in, more in touch with their mental health, those who are struggling. That's something that's becoming more, mm -hmm. like bringing more and more awareness at the moment. Um, and so I think it, it can be really uh, perceived in it in a much more positive way. I definitely agree. I think um, the kind of real gain for people working in the creative arts is that there isn't necessarily a workplace per se. You know, our the place of work is the work that we put out there as creatives. Sorry, it's going to, the dog's going to bark then. <laughs> in, in that way, you know, we are judged on the individual characteristics or properties or qualities in our work, you know, our artwork, whether or not, you know, we're photographers or printmakers or painters or illustrators. It's about how we create, how we respond to problems, the ideas that we want to explore through our work, the concepts we want to give voice through our uh, kind of imagery. And I think that that's kind of a slightly different thing than if you go to an office where there are other people working. I think how our work is judged is on an individual basis. And I think to a certain extent, there is a, a degree of like non-gender uh, kind of, um, I don't know what the word would be, agenda in that kind of process. You know, I think people are looking at people's work in an intuitive way. They're looking at it based on their own um, visual aesthetic interest, based on their own experiences. And, you know, in, in a way, the creator isn't um, the kind of the person that's being judged in that way. It's the artwork itself and the messages and the quotes in that artwork. And I think that's classically the, the, the kind of case in the, like the, the illustration industry that I'm kind of known in where, you know, I don't think I know who the kind of most successful women are or the most successful men are. Mm. I just know the kind of people who are working in the industry and the imagery that's successful at any one time and how they're being used and really that you know I, I think the whole gender thing doesn't even come into that equation it's literally to do with their response and their contribution to culture at the moment and I, I think that they're commissioned based on their work on that basis it's kind of a face-to-face thing you know isn't part of the equation it's not based on the personality or the gender of the creator it's based on the the kind of the work as a as an entity in its own right really with its own properties and its own kind of life uh, so I think that's kind of the liberating aspect of the creative identities really I think and that's what, certainly in the kind of last 10 years that I've kind of recognized I think that's really uh, there has been a shift, I think, that because we've, you know, we don't need to be represented by agents anymore. We can put our work out there. We can get our own followers. We can um, kind of create our own businesses. We can distribute, distribute what we do in many more kind of ways. I think we are much more empowered. And I think our work is much more kind of judged for what it is as a result of that. It reaches more people and people are able to find it. We're able to find our tribes as well through the kind of accessibility of new uh, kind of social media outlets in particular. 
Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I think that kind of contains the whole kind of, you know, gallery approach, really, doesn't it? We don't have to rely on directors. I mean, you know, having said that, there are many more female directors in galleries over the last 10 years than there ever were. You know, there is a shift in the institutions of art, definitely. But then I think, you know, we are all now making our own kind of way forward, aren't we? Our own avenues and turning some of those institutions on their head much more. So I think that is kind of much more equality, which has kind of come from the roots down, roots up really, rather than kind of more of that hierarchical kind of starter in the art kind of business. Okay, we've had to jump out and come back in because I don't pay for Zoom. So um, yeah, as, as Joe was saying, I think the, I mean, the main goal here, isn't it, is that we reach a point of gender equality and we reach a point of not necessarily needing um, to have these conversations anymore where we talk about issues that still exist. And now, especially with the progression of awareness of um, transgender and gender identification in, in as an entire concept, we hope to reach a point where there's no discrimination in that sense. Um, but it is International Women's Day, and I think we wouldn't have got to this point without um, the suffragettes and the and the conversations that we're having now, you know, as big and small as that is. Um, so we still we can still celebrate that. And I wanted to ask you both to sort of round off this episode. Um, who is your biggest female inspiration? So this can be it can be someone in your field of work. It can be a colleague. It can be a friend, family member. Um, who would you say that is? Joe, if we could start with you. Well. Actually, so my biggest kind of source of inspiration was my mum in life and she she didn't have a career, she didn't have um, any kind of recognition externally as a champion of industry or anything like that, but she was fiercely independent and assured in her own personality and I think uh you know in my family my dad was quite a kind of dominant and strong man and he kind of uh did the typical male thing of you know kept his family and went to work my mum stayed at home kind of thing but actually she was so strong and powerful and I didn't realize that when I was a child growing up I didn't have any kind of sense of how to measure that. But retrospectively, kind of looking back, I realised that she really instilled in me and my sisters as well, just a real sense that like, be like sure of who you are and kind of work out being the best version of who you are and then put that out in society, really. And I think that that was kind of the biggest thing, you know, when I've admired people in my career, you know, I've had tutors that have been really brilliant. I've had people who are in industry really kind of exciting that I've looked up to and colleagues as well who I've kind of really, you know, empathised with and thought I want to kind of aspire to that kind of level of excellence. And I'm still surrounded by people like that who I find, you know, I'm learning from. That's a dog squeaking his toy there, by the way. <laughs> in the background that's the kind of joy of zoom isn't it you've got a dog as well but I, but I think um you know it's sometimes the, the kind of the people who are um you know I, I suppose not necessarily accomplished but who have got a kind of clarity about their own identity I think that's something to sort of bear in mind really you know it, it's it's not just about kind of success success measured in terms of institutional kind of uh 
criteria. It's not necessarily how you, how high you rise in an institution or in a company. It's really the, the kind of place that you find for yourself in society and how you position yourself and how happy you make yourself in your life. I think that's what I've learned from her, really, to have like your own goals and your own ambitions and not to really kind of be driven by you know, socially constructed ambitions and goals. Because that's another danger, isn't it, that people might think as a woman, you know, I've got to kind of rise to be a managing director. I've got to show people that I can be a professor. I've got to get my work in the Tate Gallery. And like, well, who, you know, who dictates that towards? Where have they come from? Where have those kind of society norms come from? You know, it's much better to find your own kind of sense of what your own kind of goals are going to be and kind of work towards those. And don't let things get in the way, really, to kind of find ways of kind of reaching your own um, potential whatever that might be. And I think that's what my mum showed me and my sisters, really. It's about kind of forming your own identity, your own sense of worth, and really kind of working with that. And I think that's it's that that's given me the power to be successful in my career, really. And it's not been about ambition and being measured by other people. It's been about realising my own goals and objectives. And I think that's the best kind of gift that she gave me. And maybe that I can pass on as a tutor to other people, really. Identify who you are and then kind of if you've got a solid belief in yourself then people won't bash that and dent it you know you can you can exist in a kind of male dominated environment because you feel confident with who you are full stop yeah uh, so it's about measuring yourself against what you think is important rather than other people feeling it's important definitely and that sort of inner confidence as opposed to how you're being viewed by other people sort of externally yeah. is a yeah. great great way to carry yourself um, and yeah. Alice, what, what about you? Who are your female inspirations or inspiration? I I did. I struggled to narrow it down. I've got to say there's a lot of women that have inspired me. I'm very fortunate. I've got a lot of strong women in my life um, who really inspire me. I know Joe said, obviously, my mum has been a huge inspiration to me, my nan, my friends. In terms of, I think for me, Female musicians is quite an interesting one, um, particularly queer female musicians. I find very inspiring. Somebody that I, my mum played me when I was a little kid. I grew up listening to Annie DeFranco. Um, I've always found her to be a massive, massive inspiration. She's a very talented musician, great lyricist. She started writing from a very young age and inspired me to do the same. But also just sort of, again, going off what Joe was saying, she's so unashamedly herself and sort of continues to still unashamedly be herself as an older woman as well and I think it's just it's very inspiring to be outspoken and to always be ambitious and confident and comfortable in who you are because I know that's something a lot of women struggle with and so seeing female role models who are so out there and so talented at what they do. I mean, there's a load more that I could list sort of very briefly. Recently, I've been massively inspired by the likes of Stella Donnelly and Olive Parks. Um, but there's so many female musicians at the minute who can often be quite underrepresented, but they're massive inspirations to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I can only echo what, what you've both said. My mum, my sisters, my best friends, they're all seeing them succeed in what it is they love doing makes me want to succeed in whatever it is that I love doing um so that's that's definitely an inspiration for me so thank you both for coming on um and chatting to me today 
This is so nice when you're working from home and you see the same people every day. I've loved seeing talking to different people. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> that wraps things up for today. A few words from us here at the Arts Council. We are still working from home throughout lockdown. So any questions you have for us regarding funding deadlines or other creative queries, we are still here for you. Equally, if you want to get the word out about a creative project, business or anything similar that you're working on, please let us know and we can include you in our weekly newsletter. You can also head online and create yourself an account to be included in our artist directory. That's on our website at iomarts.com. To get in touch, find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter by searching Isle of Man Arts Council or email us at iomartscouncil at gov.in. Thank you once again to my guests and to all our listeners out there. Please stay safe and see you next episode.